Okay. Since uh, the week uh, we're coming to Yom Ha'atzma'ot, um, Yom Ha'atzikaron, Yom Ha'atzma'ot, I thought I would say something that's relevant, but not direct, indirect. And I would say something about, uh, not that I would say, but that the Shia would be about Eretz Yisrael. The whole book of Vayikra, after all, is about Eretz Yisrael in the sense that that's where the Beit HaMikdash will be built and that's where most of the things that are discussed in the book of Vayikra will take place in, you know, in Eretz Yisrael. Um, this idea of Eretz Yisrael is discussed by the Ramban in many places in his commentary. But the center of his discussion seems to be in a pasuk in Achremot, which we will take a look at in a moment. We all know that uh, the Ramban went on Aliyah at a time when many others did not go on Aliyah. Um, why the Ramban went on Aliyah at the time that he was 70 when he went on Aliyah. Now, I can tell you from experience that that's not an age where you do too much. <laughs> but but uh, uh, the Ramban went to Eretz Yisrael when he was 70. Now whether he went to Eretz Yisrael because he was a rah-rah B'nai Akiva type, or having won the great debate against the leading Christian debaters of his time, he became, he like felt that he was in a difficult situation. You better go to some place a little more friendly. Eretz Yisrael was not so friendly when he got there. You know, when, I, when the Ramban came to Eretz Yisrael, he writes that there was no minion in the old city, in the city of Yerushalayim. He could not, he couldn't find a minion and he had to go to Hebron where there were enough Jews to have uh, a minion. Eventually he came back to Eretz, to Yerushalayim, and that's where the Ramban Shul uh, uh, came from. The Ramban had a minion, the Shul, you know, he had a minion. It's not like he went in and sat down in the seat in the front. He had to pull in the dead guys to Davin, you know, to Davin Mincha. So it was pretty remarkable. So what I want to look at is this Ramban that is very famous, and everybody knows about it, but I think looking at it is, um, is a good thing. The Ramban himself, the Ramban himself lived uh, basically in the 13th century, right? He died, he died in 1270, in the year 1270. Now before the Ramban, before the Ramban, there was another commentary uh, who who was very important, called the Ibn Ezra, right, that you all know from the Mikraot Gedolot. The Ibn Ezra lived, um, he died in 11, 1164. In other words, the Ibn Ezra died before the Ramban was born. The Ibn Ezra died before the Ramban was born. Now, the Ibn Ezra is considered to be, by historians and uh, History, historians of philosophy is considered to be a philosopher. I'm not sure exactly what that means, not being in that particular field, but it's hard to find 
uh, clear examples of his philosophy in his commentary on the Chumash, although they are there, right? Uh, he talks about God and he talks about what, uh, what the uniqueness of God means and, and, and subjects of that kind. But in one place of great significance, he talks about Eretz Yisrael, and it's important to see that as an introduction to the Ramban. So if you look at the second page of the sheet, which has this um, not so, so, so impressive map, but uh, anyway, there's a pasuk at the end of Zvarim. And the pasuk says, See, you see the pasuk on page 2, you're going to die. Which is, in other words, the day of Moshe, this is told to Moshe Rabbeinu on the day of his death. In other words, it's, it's what we call maybe today present. In But it means immediately. It's going to happen immediately on this day. Paraglamid Aleph. Vikam ha'am hazeh, second promise. That vikam ha'am, and this must be a, uh, the most distressing moment of Moshe Rabbeinu's life. I mean, who dedicated himself to getting the Jews out of Mitzrayim and bringing them to Eretz Yisrael. And what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to Moshe Rabbeinu in this pasuk? Vikam ha'am hazeh v'zana acharei Elohei nechar ha'aretz. Vikam ha'am hazeh, vikam means... They will act, right? This doesn't mean just that they're going to stand up, but vizana, and they will prostitute themselves to idolatry. To idolatry. Right? The idolatry of the people to which he is going to come. Right in Eretz Canaan, Eretz Canaan was full of idolaters, and those idolaters are going to influence the the Jews who come there. And because of that influence, right, the, then it's going to They will leave God. They fared briti asher and they will deny the covenant which I have established. So is Akadosh Bohu saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, promising him, promising him that the result of all his effort and enterprise is going to be nothing, because they're all going to become, they're all going to go and 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 assume idolatry, the idolatry of Eretz Kenan. Now the words in the pasuk that I specifically am interested in, which the Ibn Ezra is interested in, are these words: Elohei. Nechar Haaretz. You see those words? The gods. Nechar Haaretz. What does Nechar Haaretz mean? It means who are foreign to the land. What, what do you mean they're foreign to the land? All idolatry is foreign to everything. It's foreign to God. I mean, what's, what does foreign to the land mean? So, again, the Pesach has two parts to it. It has this general idea that B'nai Yisrael are going to fall prey to idolatry, the idolatry of Eretz Canaan, that's on the one hand. But on the second hand, the idolatry has a special name. Elohei Nechar Haaretz. The gods, I mean translating, Nechar Haaretz, who are foreign 
to the land. Right? Nechar, like Nochri. Nochri means a foreigner. Nechar Haaretz, the gods who are foreign to the land. The land, of course, is the land of Israel, Haaretz Kena'an. The idolatry is foreign to that land. Now, as a, a, we all know, that when Bnei Yisrael went to Eretz Yisrael, they were enjoined, commanded, directed to get rid of the idolatry. And they did that only with partial success. You know, if you remember the books of Yehoshua and Shoftim, Shmuel, you remember those books? So, you learn them in school, so they, nobody remembers them. Like, you know, if, they would, they, if they'd make Tanakh an optional subject, then everybody would know the Tanakh Baal Peh. But they don't. They teach it, unfortunately. And that's the destruction of it all. So the beginning of the book of Shoftim, the Pasuk the, the, the says that in the southern part of Eretz Yisrael, which was dominated by Yehuda, right, three Shvatim, which I've mentioned before, right, Yehuda, and north, in the north of Yudah was Binyamin, and the south of Yudah was Shimon. That that part of Eretz Yisrael was cleaned out of idolatry. But the northern part from Yerushalayim, say in north, right, Yisachar, Zvulun, Ephraim, and Asher, those are the, the famous masses of land, they did not successfully get rid of the idolatry as they had been commanded to do. And as a result, the book of Shoftim, these, you know, this 40 years good, 40 years bad, every time, you know, everything turns around and they, they're attacked by Ammon, they're attacked by Moab, they're attacked by whoever else is around. All of that was seen as a punishment for B'nai Yisrael in the northern part of Eretz Yisrael, who were not able, not willing, not interested in getting rid of idolatry. So when the Pesach speaks about Elohei Nechah Haaretz, we see that they're definitely there in the north. And the northern kingdom was punished by a, an irretrievable exile, I would call it. Right? The ten tribes, they disappeared. They were exiled and they disappeared. Whereas the exile of Yehuda, the exile of Yehuda was much milder. Even though, I mean, they came back in 70 years. They were not punished for idolatry. They were punished for whatever, right? The time of the Churban Bayit Rishon, right? Remember, the exile of the ten tribes was before Churban Bayit Rishon, which I say all the time. In the year 722 BCE by the Assyrians, they were exiled and they disappeared. Now, it is true that there are people who go around today and say that in India and in Burma, there are millions of people who are really part of the lost tribe. I don't know anything about that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you're going to say India and Burma, why not say China? You know, we could, like, we could trump the whole thing. You know, like, we could be everything if we would, what? No, they, but they're Jews. We're not saying that all the Chinese are the remnants of the ten tribes. There were Jews in China who were like uh, part of the Chinese community, whoever they were, Kai something. Is that, or is that a restaurant? Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, like maybe it's a restaurant. <laughs> the, the who? 
Yeah, but they are not. All my prejudices that I grew up with indicate to me that Chinese are not Jews. Well, I mean, it could be that in Mars there are also people who have, uh, you know, uh, lifestyles that are like Jewish lifestyles. Who knows? If they put on tefillin, so I'll be amazed. You know, when the Ethiopians came to Israel, I don't take sides on this whole uh, question. I don't know anything about it. But, you know, the Ethiopians who claimed to be Jewish or claimed to have some connection to Judaism, and they did. There was, like, some real to that connection. But it was remarkable that the Ethiopians did not know a single letter of the Hebrew alphabet. A letter. They didn't have a letter. They didn't have like some kind of voodoo thing that they scratched on the wall, which was a Hebrew letter. Not a single Hebrew letter. It's, a, it's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. They never saw a Chumash. They never saw a, a Sefer Torah. They never saw any, you know, whatever we think are the basic symbols. Now, they claim to be Jewish. I'm talking about the Burmese or the the Indians or the Chinese who are not making this claim, but people are going there. It's like the new version of the Sochnut. <laughs> it, it used to be that they used to go to some place and find a Jew and bring him to Israel. Now you go someplace and find somebody and convince him that he's a Jew and then bring him to Israel. It's like a new idea. Anyway, you know, I'm a little skeptical. I think you can notice that. In any event, this is what the Ramban, the Ibn Ezra says. You see the Ibn Ezra? Yadano ki Hashem echad. Rashinui yavomi hamikadlim. It bothers him. It bothers him that the Pesach says that the people are going to be enticed by idolatry. He says, what do you mean idol- idolatry? So he says this, Yadano ki Hashem echad. The Ibn Ezra is like, sometimes a little hard to understand, but we'll get through it, that, that we know that God is one. There's no other God in the world. Shinui means to change that fact, or Shinui means the duality, right? To, to create, to say there's more than one God. That, you know, it's like man institutes that. It doesn't come from, it doesn't come from God. But God remains the same. There is no change in God. All of God's actions are wise. And he says, The service of God includes Lishmor to watch over Koach HaKibul means the, the ability that we have to absorb the correct idea. Koach HaKibul. Kibul is the, I'm a, I'm a repository. I'm a repository. So what am, what, am, what am I supposed to get in my repository? I'm supposed to get the right ideas, right? And then he says, Kifi HaMakom. Kifi HaMakom. What does Kifi HaMakom mean? Huh? Kifi HaMakom means... Well, it matters where you are. 
What do you mean matters where you are? And then he says, Al Ken Katuv et Mishpat Eloheha Aretz. What's Mishpat Eloheha Aretz? Mishpat Eloheha Aretz. Like there's a plural. Al Ken Amayakov Asirot Eloheha And so Yaakov Avidu said, Let's get rid of the foreign gods. Who did he say that to? He said to his family. When did he say it? After the battle with Shem. And so Rashi says that besides whatever else, whatever booty they took from Shechem, they also took they also took idols from Shechem. They took idols. So he said that's what he says. A serious Elohim So what the Ibn Ezra is trying to say, what the Ibn Ezra is trying to say, and what the Ibn Ezra is saying, is that the standard is different. When did Yaakov Avinu say Hasirul Heinechar? When they were in Eretz Israel. But that way they were Chutzlar. Do you remember that Lavan ran after them and was looking for his idols? And who had them? Rachel had them. So did Yaakov say Hasiru Elohei Nechar Haaretz to Rachel? No. He didn't say it. So what? What? He didn't, well, okay, maybe he didn't know, but the Torah lets us know. So if we knew, maybe Yaakov knew. I, I, I don't know, but, but it was for the Ibn Ezra, the critical point is that when he came to Eretz Yisrael, Adarabo, he said, look, I don't know, maybe you all have idols hidden away someplace. Let's get rid of them. Why should we get rid of them? Why did he say that? Because they were in Eretz Yisrael. And so, Elohei Nechar Haaretz doesn't just mean that they were idolatrous, they were idols. But what does Elohei Nechar Haaretz mean? That in Eretz Yisrael, they are Nechar, they are foreign. Which means that if you do a little idolatry in Chutz Laaretz, Nishkeferlach. I mean, what else do they have in Chutz Laaretz except a little idolatry? I mean, to modernize the uh, statement. But according to the Ibn Ezra, according to the Ibn Ezra, the meaning of this pasuk is that the crime of idolatry in Eretz Yisrael is worse than the crime of idolatry anyplace else. That's what he said. And from here, we go to the Ramban, who wrote a hundred years later. The truth is the Ramban finished his commentary on the Torah in Eretz Yisrael. And I told you that he went to Eretz Yisrael when he was 70. So we could say that it was his mature work, whatever that means. But you know that the Ramban was the Godel Hador in his generation, very highly regarded as a halachist. But the Ramban was also a Kabbalist. The Ramban was also a Kabbalist, and that aspect of the Ramban shows up in this, uh, in this uh, long statement that he makes. We're going to try to get through at least a good part of it. So here, the Pesach says, the Pesach is recapitulating the list of Isurim, prohibitions about Arayot, about unacceptable sexual encounter. Don't 
uh, allow yourself to become uncleaned by ed- any of these acts, because this is something that the Goyim did. That's it. I mean, this is what the Pasuk says, that somehow the land of Israel, the Eretz Yisrael, is involved in this process that we call Tum'ah. So that the person who engages in this kind of act becomes Tamei, and then means I will rem- I will remember its crime and as a result this situation will not be able to go on. So this is not a, a specific they will be vomited out. It's not a specific punishment for B'nai Yisrael being idolatrous. That'll come, you know, the, the exile, the years of exile, that's idolatry, right? And the idolatry, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that's the punishment for the idolatry. But the fact that B'nai Yisrael can't stay in Eretz Yisrael, that's like nature. That's teva. The teva of things is that B'nai Yisrael doing what they did, doing these transgressions, these sexual transgressions, so the land can't bear them. The land of Israel can't bear them. That's what the Pasuk seems to say. So let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban says, he says that the Torah was very, very uh, um, harsh in listing the illicit sexual encounters, right, those things that are not permitted, because the result is very, very serious. He says, I don't get it. How could my doing a transgression affect the land? Uh, let's say uh, there's a halacha, uh, I have to give truma, I have to give maser, I have to give tzdokeh for things that grow out of the land, I have to keep shemitah. So if I don't keep those mitzvot, I can understand that somebody would say, that somebody would say, oh, that's why the land is affected, because the mitzvah is a mitzvah of the land. But arayot is a prohibition about me. What difference does it make? What does it make to the land if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do? If it's a mitzvah about the land, I could understand. But this is not a mitzvah about the land. I was sod hadavar. Sod hadavar. Here, I think the word sod means a deeper understanding. A deeper understanding. So, the Pasuk in Hazinu says that the division of the world into countries where each nation had, each nation had uh, a language and a territory, he says that's all done min hashamayim. And that God, after all, created everything that is. And since the world as we know it is a world that is divided up amongst nations who have languages and territory with borders, so says, that must also come from God. It's not like we, God let us loose in the world and said, work it out. You know, but this is what God wanted. Uh, 
and there's some connection. I mean, this is a like a, a very, very basic Kabbalistic idea that there's a connection between what happens in heaven and what happens on earth. There's like, um, there are these uh, uh, pipes that go up and down and connect us. And every nation in the world is guided by, uh, by some heavenly body. And he calls that kochav and mazal. A kochav is a star, and a mazal is a constellation. And uh, um, people believed that there was some relationship between the way the stars and the constellations looked and the relationship between God in heaven and the world. Right? There was this relation. This today is called astrology. Right? It's it's popular enough to have somebody come on the radio every Friday morning and tell you what all your astrological signs indicate. So that seems to me to be an indication that people still think as the Ramban thought. You know, it was just like a, not such an old thing. All the nations were given a mazal, a constellation, which somehow directs them. And then above these constellations are the angels. That there's such a thing, every nation has a sar, every nation has a, a malach, every nation is a... Uh, so, uh, so the Ramban like introduces us to the way the world is constructed, and the way the world is constructed is that there's a relationship between God and the world that is created. However, you develop that relationship, or whatever you say, there's no doubt that that also is true for the nations of the world, and every nation is dominated by a constellation and every constellation is further dominated by malachim who are appointed for this purpose and all the malachim are answer answerable in turn to HaKadosh Baruch now we're up to line 12 so here's the Ramban the Ramban is say, look God is the God. There's only one God. And God's in charge of everything. Everything, everybody, everyone. God is in charge. He says, Eretz Yisrael, he Hashem, He says, but Eretz Yisrael is different. Eretz Yisrael, first of all, is Nachalat Hashem. Uh, whatever that means. That means, but it's God's place. There is a place in the world where is God's place. For example, from, from, from our point of view, the Beit HaMikdash can only be built in Eretz Yisrael. Lo yitachen, that they could build a Beit HaMikdash elsewhere, right outside of Eretz Yisrael. 
And even though you could build a structure and a building and, 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 and very nice, uh, uh, but you can't build the Beit HaMikdash. You can't build the place in which God could be, would be found. Lo natana leh min ha-malachim katsin shoteo mosher ban chilo ota la'amo amyechei shimo zera ohavav. He says, he says, God did not appoint a regent a representative, neither a malach nor a mazal, to be in charge of Eretz Yisrael. V'zeu she'amar, v'yitem li segula mekol ha'amim, ki li kol ha'aretz, right? A non-sequitur, remember non-sequitur? Ki yitem li segula mekol ha'amim, God says to B'nai Yisrael, you will be a treasure to me more than all the other, any of the other nations, Kilikol Aretz. What does Kilikol Aretz got to do with, uh, with, uh, you will be a treasure? But, you will be in the place that God is to be found. And therefore, you will be skula. Uchtiv. V'yitem lila anva anochi elechem lelokim. Loche tiyuatem elelokim elohim acherim klau. He says that that this is a necessary part of the relationship. Idolatry is an Avera, but besides being an Avera, it's also breach of nature. It's, it's something that can't be redeemed in Eretz Yisrael, right? You can't undo it. You can't say, okay, you know, I'm doing tshuva. It's like, it's like it just creates its own tsunami. And that tsunami is going to kick you all out of Eretz Yisrael. We do things to for the sake of God. In other words, that's the condition. That if you keep the mitzvot, in other words, keeping the mitzvot here doesn't mean doing A, B, C, and D, but you understand that God has ultimate jurisdiction. And since God has ultimate jurisdiction, you're going to do the mitzvot. Uchtiv, v'amar lachem atem tirshu et admatam v'ani etnen alachem l'reshedota ani Hashem elokichem v'shevdalti etchem min ha'amim we are different than all the other nations. In, in, so it's not just a question of power. It's not just that God has dominion. But God is bringing you to Eretz Yisrael in order that there should be a relationship. And a breach of the relationship will cause immediate negative results. Unlike the breach of the relationship, that's called Avodah That's That's the essence of a breach, unlike doing some other Avera, which is, uh, uh, you know, we have time to do tshuva. V'hinei ha'aretz. I'm on line 20, I think. So there you have it. The Ramban's idea 
of Eretz Yisrael. By the way, this is also found, uh, at least uh, in some way, right in the in the Kuzari. Not exactly the same, but this idea that Eretz Yisrael uh, creates a special obligation, special kinds of obligation, special devotion to God, and if you don't have that, if you don't have that, then which is not the same as a punishment. It's just that it's it can't you can't go on. I mean, look, uh, it's hard to say that uh, that uh, living in exile is New York, in New York is necessarily a punishment. I mean, for some people, it doesn't seem to be. But uh, I, in Eretz Yisrael, you just couldn't live that way. You can't live that way. That's what. What? I think so. You know. No, I think I think that uh, he, he doesn't talk about that. But I think I think. Um, no, there's an individual and then there's a community. I mean, and the community is made up of a lot of individuals. A, you need some sort of critical mass for the nation to be expelled. And that's something that you can think about, you know, like what happened in Stone and what happened in Moran, what, you know, when, uh, when uh, the, uh, the exiles were always national, right? We were exiled three times, but we were exiled nationally. And there's no indication that the people who escaped exile were, you know, except for the ones we know about, but the ones that we don't know about, we don't know that they were different than the ones who were exiled. Okay, so here we are. Actually, where are we? What line are we up to? This line? What? 21? Oh, 21. Okay. Aparasha Zot Hiskira Hamolech Lichlol Abodazarab Zichron Arayot Valkulamama Altitamu Bikol Ela Kibikol Ela Nitme Uha Goyim Vatakiha Aretet Yoshvea Bechedama Beparasha Shnia in in that's in Achremot. Now we're talking about Kedoshim Vavdil et Chemin Haamim Liot Li Shuhoma Isur Abodazara. So, there's some kind of, I mean, it's, it's an idea. It's an idea that repeats itself in different ways. But for example, Shir Hashirim, if you remember Shir Hashirim, it was just Pesach, I think. And uh, besides all the other things that we do on Pesach, we also heard Shir Hashirim. And, and it's appropriate, it's appropriate that the relationship between B'nai Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch should be described as a love story. Now that, that idea that there's a, a love story is also reflected in the Rambam at the end of Hilchot Tshuva. The Rambam says, the, the Rambam implies that talking about love is the only way that we have to discuss the relationship between God and man. Even though we may not get all the nuances, because the word love is like most words, you know, or most ideas, has limitations, and the relationship with God doesn't have limitation, but we have no choice. 
We haven't got a better. We haven't got a better option. And so the Ramban says, uh, that's what Shira Shirim is. Shira Shirim is a description of this relationship. So that what the Ramban is saying, right? The Ramban lived after the Rambam. What the what Ramban is saying is that that what does it mean? What does it mean to jilt your spouse? There's a word jilt. What does it mean? What does it mean? So you have to do something that is, in essence, unacceptable. This is something like if you, if you, uh, if you uh, like prepare dinner and uh, something that your spouse doesn't like to eat. So that's not a cause for the divorce. But that's to be more um, more essential. So avodazara, the way we understand it, is the most contrary act to the love between God and B'nai Yisrael. There's nothing more obtuse. But that would only lead me to a punishment. What the Ramban is trying to explain to us is that it's unbearable for the land of Israel to have in its house this kind of dissonance. You know, that there's God and there's Avodah I mean, it can't be. It, it just doesn't work. So the land of Israel is a partnership in all of this. On the one hand, if you do the mitzvot to keep the Torah, so the land of Israel is a great enabler. Right? You'll be able to build the Beit HaMikdash. You'll be able to have Avodat Hashem in a very unique way. But if you don't have that kind of relationship, if you do, if you go in the way of Avodah then the land will not be able to bear it. And so the land will get rid of you, which is not a punishment, so, so to speak. It's just the natural result of the, of the forces that exist. And so, uh, again, uh, we are now, where are we now? Uh, line 26? Line 26. Now listen to the Ramban. The Ramban says, It's in case you don't believe Says in Chutzlaretz, you can do all the mitzvahs you could you could imagine. You could have a bigger shear for the matzah, and you could have a thinner matzah. And the matzah someday will be so thin you won't be able to see it. But you you could do all of those things, but. Even though you do everything you could possibly do to fulfill the divine command, this does not produce perfect tahara, tahara cleanliness or purity of some sort. No. Because after all, you're in a foreign country. And what did we say at the beginning? about the foreign countries, they're all under the dominion of Mazalot and Sarim. Right? They're kind of like, you could try as hard as you want, but God put up this barrier. It's like, it's like you know, you have to go to, uh, to see somebody and you can't get in, you get to see the Pakid. So okay, in theory, the Pakid could help you, but he's not going to because he's only a Pakid. So this is where we are. Uh, and so the Ramban said 
the Rambam said in the beginning of Hilchas Avodah that one of the, the one of the ways that Avodah gets into the world is that we become confused about who is really in charge of our destiny. So the mashal is when you go to a government office, and then you go, your first stop is uh, is the secretary. She says, "Oh, please, could you help me?" But you know, you know, she can't help you. That her job is not to help you. So she's not going to help you. I mean, that's that's obvious. So he says, he says in in chutzlaretz, chutzlaretz, there are people worshiping um, legitimately other forces. It seems to me that the Ramban is saying.